All right. Well, hey, find your way in your Bibles to the book of Acts. Right? Or find your way in your neighbor's Bible to the book of Acts. Make sure they're, make sure they're, you're there, Abby? Your marker's already there. You read ahead, didn't you? Kind of, right. I know this about you. All right. Acts chapter 3. Remember last, last time I said we were going to do 2 and 3? Remember that? I said challenge accepted and I couldn't make it through 2 and 3. See? Remember that, Chris? You do now. Hey, come on now. Only I get to talk that way about myself. Right. Right. Acts chapter 3. Let's go ahead and pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for tonight as we gather together and uh, ask your Holy Spirit to teach us as we open up the Word of God. And Lord, really ask you to open up our hearts to the understanding and the, the knowledge and the insight of you for our day in which we're living. Uh, Lord, that we would be taught by your Spirit concerning the ongoing and continuing work of salvation in this world, uh, concerning the days uh, before you uh, before you return, that, Lord, that we would know that we're living for you in the way that you have called us. And we ask and pray that you would stir us up unto uh, love and good works. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Um, as we go through the study of the book of Acts and uh, take it up this time, really concentrating on the working of the Holy Spirit through uh, the disciples of Jesus Christ in the continuing work that Jesus began in this world. If you look at Acts chapter 1, this is why Luke wrote this down. He described that when he wrote the gospel, that he had written the gospel concerning all that Jesus both began uh, to do and to teach, and, and that's in the first account, Acts 1.1, until the day he was taken up. And, and then uh, it describes that after he had been risen from the dead, he had given commandments through the Holy Spirit concerning the kingdom of God. And, and then Luke is, is faithful to record this interaction between the disciples. So again, you have this in-between time, resurrection from the dead, and that 40 days before Jesus ascends into heaven, and, and the disciples at that time, they, they're believing and receiving Jesus as the Messiah, and they get stuck on one thing like we do, right? The kingdom of God. Now, as time has passed, we understand what God has done in history through the Holy Spirit coming upon the church, and we've studied that in Acts 1 and Acts 2, and, and we believe that. But you know where we're at now? Uh, we're looking out at the world now, concerning the promise of the return of Jesus Christ. And I think the way I, the sign in Mexico, I was just there this last week, uh, Jesucristo viene pronto. Ah, see? I'm like, I, that I understood in Spanish, right? That, that, that Jesus Christ is coming soon. And I, I like that. And I also saw the sign that Jesus Christ is Senior of, of, uh, of, of Tijuana, and then another sign says, when everything else fails, come to Jesus Christ. I, I saw those. This is all public signs. And if you thought it was, they were billboards and they had to have money. No, these are rocks painted on the side uh, of a hill. Uh, but when it came to that understanding, are you, are you now going to set up your kingdom? So 
we're at this place studying prophecy, right? Looking at the world. Think of the, think of where we're at now in relationship to these wonderful promises of the return of Jesus Christ and the description of those days. Now, those days are not good days, right? Perilous times will come. Um, rising, well, what, what did Jesus say? Wars, rumors of wars, famines, earthquakes, pestilence. Oh yeah. Sounds like, sounds like current day living, right? So here we are with, with the promises of the return of Jesus Christ and the history of the book of Acts that records how the Holy Spirit came upon the church and how the mighty working power of God, the works of Jesus, continued through the church. And for those uh, you know, uh, churches who don't believe that the working of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, the, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, they believe that that's not for today, that that was a unique time in history, well, God bless them. I, I don't know what else to say other than I don't want to live that way. I want to live in the expectation of the coming return of the Lord in the truth of the scriptures as revealed in history that, that the words that Jesus said, every one of them was as true when he said them for those that heard them and are recorded for us and just as true for us now. So the words of Jesus are rather important. When he says greater and mighty works would be done, Because he went to heaven, and this wonderful thing that he offered up called prayer, that you could pray in the Father's name, and you pray according to the will of God. And and I think of those promises. Uh, John records it in John 15. Uh, It's in 1 John 1. How that when you pray these things, you have your answer, and and God's going to hear those prayers, and he's going to answer them. Well, we come to Acts chapter 3, and I'll get on to Acts 3 instead of just talking to you about where we're at. But in much the same way, in those days, I mean, you understand Rome ruled over all of Israel. You understand that it was the Roman government who, who really controlled everything. And we, we shouldn't get so jumpy now in our day and age when governments once again try to gain control over the world because the Bible said that would be happening. So what do we do? Well, I believe that in the fulfillment of the continuation of the baptism with the Holy Spirit upon the church, under what? Now, we've, we've talked about this in this study. Under what? Unto services of Holy Spirit services or unto what? How about what the Bible said? Unto the witness, the power to be witnesses unto Jesus. And that's really how we come to this. So glance back at Acts 2, and again, 242, we, we've lived that out. So we're in chapter 3, but look back at 242. This is what the early church was doing, and it's what the, well, this is doable. It's attainable. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, and in prayers. It says that fear came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. And and this working power, the church was birthed. Now, the church has matured a little bit, and with maturity has come some good things and some well, what did Jesus warn? He described that there would arise many false teachers. And we see it again. You see all these things. So I bring this up in the current context. When we come to chapter 3, we can learn from chapter 3. We cannot repeat Acts chapter 2, you know, to where we say we had a Pentecost or we just need to have a Pentecost service and everything's better. I don't believe that's what's being said. We can walk in the truth of the scriptures and have that baptism with the Holy Spirit unto be witness, being witnesses unto Jesus to go forth 
and fulfill the commission. Well, here's how. Acts chapter 3 is a here's how kind of study to examine, not that we could repeat the same mighty works, because did you realize Jesus never healed the same way twice? He didn't establish patterns, did he? Maybe you're going to read Acts 3 and like, when's the hour of prayer? Okay, I got to go out in the hour of prayer and I got to go look for a lame man. See, that, that's, not, that's not the intent. The intent is for us to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to have our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And as we go, you do understand that the Great Commission is not a command to go out into all the world. It is as you go, the command is preach Christ. Now, we come to this section, Acts 3.1 says, Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. Now, we, we interrupt the, the account of history to, to learn from it. I'm okay with a Bible study like that. In fact, when you read through your Bible, does the Holy Spirit ever interrupt you as you're reading and draw your attention unto, look at that, I've, I've read this a hundred times, but did you see what, this now says in the Word of God, it's almost like it's illuminated. You're like, and you're, you're drawn unto that, what does it say? Peter and John went up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. They did not right, continue in the upper room waiting and waiting and waiting for the Pentecost to continue, but rather they went forth to be witnesses. Well, we look into the lives of these two men and we notice certain characteristics. Just by examining Acts 3, we notice that first of all they were men of prayer. Men of prayer. Now, just when you hear that, I'll just say this, people of prayer. Now, straight up, why, why is there not a great, mighty, working power of God, current, present, at large in the world, or, or revival? Well, I say it begins with this answer to these things. It begins with prayer. Men and women of prayer. Now, what kind of prayer? Prayer that is to the Father in Jesus' name. You'll notice that, that they are men of prayer. Also, they were men of faith. I think this is an important thing, right? We, we can look into these two lives to learn these things, and you might think I'm just like pulling these up front and dropping them in front of you. Listen, you're going to watch through Acts 3. Look for them. Look, look for where they're men of prayer. Look for their faith, okay? They were men who had come to the cross and had no ambition for themselves. Look, look for it in Acts 3. They were men of the word, Thoroughly knowledgeable of the scriptures. Now, I just put four things in front of you. Prayer, faith, carrying the cross unto no selfish ambition, knowledgeable of the scriptures, knowing what the word of God says, knowing where these things are written, what they mean. Now now we're getting some, you you catch the the tone of this study tonight. Acts chapter 3, as much as we watched in 2, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, Now we're going to examine that outpouring of the Holy Spirit, what it was where the Spirit came upon the apostles, that they they went forth, and this is the type of people that they were. Prayer, faith, carrying the cross, no ambition, men of the word, thoroughly knowledgeable of the scriptures, and they uh, needs to be said. Why does it need to be said? Because many don't live this out anymore. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. Filled with the Holy Spirit. Now that means a lot of things to a lot of people. We've covered that in this Acts study about how many people have given a filled with the Holy Spirit, what that means. I'm saying let's go to the scriptures rather than church history. Go to the scriptures and see 
what it is that those that were filled with the Holy Spirit, what, what is that witness that we're talking about? So these characteristics of a person that God can use, that type of Bible study, that the Spirit would begin to work in maybe one of those areas, or, or maybe you're one who has never believed before that you need to be baptized with the Spirit, and the Spirit just wants to work along that line to show you in the Scripture, what is this baptism with the Holy Spirit and why do I need it? Or maybe you're not a believer who has given yourself much attention unto the knowledge of the Scriptures. You go to church, yes. You listen to somebody else who has knowledge of the Scriptures, but you personally have not given yourself to know these things that are there and are written there. Or maybe you think others will carry the prayer thing. They'll pray. I'll do. Right? It, this is how things happen. This was all with these men that God would use. And the idea of when God uses a person like this, don't forget that important part. Because I've had about enough of selfish ambition in the church. I don't know if you have. Concerning what you can see is published, people with selfish ambition should have never been given a, a platform to publish. Well, again, everybody has a platform now to publish if they're willing to put it on the Internet. So let's get on to this one, men of prayer. When you see this, they're going up together, the temple, the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. So, so really, verse 1 begins, they were, they were men of prayer. So the Jews prayed three times a day. Remember Daniel? When carried away captive, what did he continue in his own personal relationship with God? When the temple was not there or he was not with the temple, he prayed morning, noon, or night. This is the night one. This is the 3 p.m. This is the last prayer slot of the day. And so they're heading up. And you'll notice, they're believers in Jesus Christ, yet they're living in Jerusalem after the Holy Spirit has been poured out, Jesus gone to heaven. What are they continuing to do? Go to the temple, and they're praying. I just, I'll say it this way. God uses men of prayer. If we want to be used of God as these men were, we too must become men and women of prayer. Now, some churches have relegated the praying to the women. And, and there's even books written upon that. Paul, you know what Paul told Timothy? He says, I desire that, that the men ought to lift up holy hands in prayer unto God, and, and then likewise the women. Which, again, you can look at that context, and there's a way to understand that. We are to be men and women of prayer. Now look at verse 2 with me. A certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid at the daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms for those who entered the temple. Now, you can go to Israel today and still find people asking for money. My, my favorite one is a phony. Right? We have taken enough trips to the old city, and we do walking tours. Now, I don't know if a lot of trips do that, but there's always a portion on our trip where we are in the old city and we're walking from site to site. And this one man would follow our group, I think for almost an entire day, and he would moan and groan, and he'd drag either his left foot or his right foot. I don't know which one, but then he's just, you know, asking for money. We saw him later on walking in the old city normally, no moaning and groaning. And if you know my pastor, he's like, hey, hey, you got better. I see you're all better. And he just kind of, you know, was working with the guy. But this was the real thing. This was the only way that this man could be taken care of. Now, when he saw Peter and John, he, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked for alms. 
Fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, look at us. So he gave him them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. You, you catch the context here. So uh, the last thing that we really want to do with someone who is begging, be it on the side of the road, maybe you're different than me, or whatever, the last thing I ever want to do is make eye contact. Right? You're like, don't make eye contact, don't make eye contact, because if you make eye contact, they're going to come over to the car. They're going to ask for money, right? See that? This is what's happening. So Peter and John make eye contact. In fact, they say, look at us. And so he's expecting to actually get something from them. Peter says, silver and gold I do not have. But what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. At this point, Peter, exercising the faith in the words that Jesus had taught him concerning prayer, that if he asks anything unto the Father in Jesus' name, Jesus said he'd do it. That's quite one thing to believe that, isn't it? And another thing to take it out into public and do it. Peter does that. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. He took him by the right hand and lifted him up. It's another step of faith, isn't it? And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. Now, when we get to Acts 4.22, it describes how old this man is. He was 40 years old. So what's taking place, I mean, I, you, you, I don't however you want to look at it, but this is the reality. Uh, they've seen him there before. This man has been lame for a long time. <coughs> so it takes, I would say, a great deal of faith on Peter's part to take the guy by his hand. One, he's declared openly in the name of Jesus to rise up and walk. And, and it's not like the guy's just going to get up, or maybe he would have. But Peter, in exercising that faith, does what? Takes him, grabs him, lifts him up. Now, what happens next is, is, is he can walk. His feet and ankle bones receive strength. I, I've been working with, with this concept and, and just simply reminding everybody that this, that man with the withered hand, you do realize when Jesus said unto him, stretch forth your hand, it's withered. He has no power to stretch forth that hand, but yet at that point of faith, when Jesus commanded that, stretch forth his hand, immediately he received strength to do that. And this is how faith worked in this same situation. Now, the easy way out is to say something like this. They're apostles. Of course, they're the apostles, right? They do things like this. But I remind you, Peter was no different than the rest of us. Paul says that he was subject to the same weaknesses. You do realize Paul, writing to the church at Corinth, said, hey, when we got there, we had fear on every side. Inside, there were fears. Outside, there were threatenings. And, 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 and so the apostles were not a unique set of people who did not experience the same things we face. So God enables Peter to both ignore his own doubts and the lies of Satan. Hey, whenever you're going to stand up and, I mean, think just something so simple. Someone is before you and the Spirit just prompts you a little bit, go share the gospel with them. Right? Go share the gospel with them. And you have at that point in time the ability to do what? Oh, that's not the Lord. Or they don't want to listen to it anyway. And again, uh, Kevin sends his greetings. I talked with him on the phone a couple days ago. So those of you that would know Kevin who was here and is now uh, back in Oregon, he's actually two months in Stanford at the hospital, uh, not the hospital, at a hotel near the hospital with his new heart. 
and he says, you can tell everybody back there that I'm doing well, and he sends his greetings. But he says something to me that was wonderful, and he says, he says I, got my, I got my new heart on Resurrection Sunday. He says, and, and, I, and I share that with people, and it doesn't click with them. He says, but for me, Easter is like one of the best things. I, I understand it now, having a new heart. Now, it comes to this place of these things where, where you have your own doubts within, right? You have your own doubts. They, they don't want to hear the gospel. You know, what, you know what Kevin now does? He just tells people about what happened. And I've discovered one of the best things to do is just describe you know, Peter and James, uh, Peter and John are not creating a situation. They've been with Jesus, and it's not like they're creating this on their own. It's the Spirit who prompted them to to have that interaction, but they have to fight it off like everyone else does. Peter acted in faith, right? So you see it today, men of prayer. Now you see their faith. It was John 14, where 14, 13. Like if you want the reference, whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. Anybody else want to hand out a blank check like that to a, to a bunch of fishermen? Right? Think of, think of Jesus' church, to hand them a blank check. I mean, in, in regards to faith, in regards to prayer, and in regards to, and, and you all know how it is. I mean, when you first get your checkbook, and you don't know how to write out a check. And you, you see this piece of paper, and you got lines on it. I, who knew how to write out a check until someone showed you? And in much the same way, now they themselves are exact, uh, exercising that very power of the name of Jesus when Jesus is not with them. When he was with them, who was doing all, who was doing all, the, all the work, if you will? Well, he's still with them and he's still doing the work, but now he's going to do it through their lives. Pretty exciting stuff. So he actually it results unto, in faith, a command. He commanded in the name of Jesus Christ, for the guy to walk. Remember Paul when he's out ministering? And I think it's Philippi where they have this, this demon-possessed girl of which does some sort of like, you know, demonic divination type of thing and, and does predictions. And, and as, as she's following around, she's saying something like, listen to these men. They have the, you know, they, they're, they're servants of the Most High God. Listen to them. They have the way of salvation. And after a bit of time, Paul's like, he's sick of having Satan be their front man so to speak, and he just turns to look at her, and, and these are his first words, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. Now, I don't know if you ever have tried to cast out a demon, if you, ever, you would even want to be near anything like that. I really don't like to do it, but this is that faith that in the name of Jesus, and I have another friend who says, you just, you just command it in the name of Jesus, because he has experience, and, and faith, seven sons of Sceva, remember how they failed? They didn't have a relationship with God. Paul would cast out demons. Jesus cast out demons. So the seven sons of Sceva, and this was Acts 19, and, and they, they take it upon themselves. I think it's in Ephesus. Yeah, it is Ephesus, where they say, we're going to cast out demons. And so they just invoke the name of Jesus like a token. And they, they come to the demon and says, uh, the, the Jesus that Paul preaches, and, and they, they, they try to cast out this demon. Well, this demon-possessed man, he... he overpowers seven of them and, and, and rips, rips them to shreds and they, they leave out with their clothes and they run for their lives because they had no personal relationship with Jesus. We're not talking about faith in faith. We're talking about men of prayer and then men of faith in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, side note, there was more people who had fear of the Lord over 
the sons of Sceva invoking the name of Jesus without power because then it's recorded in the book of Acts that those great fear came upon those of Ephesus. And that's when they turned and brought out all their fake books or their sorcery books, all their false worship, and they put it into a heap, 50,000 pieces of silver, and they burned it all. Now, Jesus healed with faith. So you, you see in, in verse eight, three eight, he leaping up stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping, and praising God. So I mean, and when I when I think of the words words of faith that Jesus spoke unto people, and like the, I've referenced it already, stretch forth your hand. Then he was healed. How about this one? Arise, take up your bed and walk. Right? He was healed. Um, how about the the one at Bethesda? the layman, and Jesus says, would you like to be healed? It's a yes or no, isn't it? Jesus comes to him and says, would you like to be healed? And he comes up with, well, I have nobody. When the water's stirred, I have nobody to take me down there. And, 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 and then, it's, did you hear that? Do you want to be healed? See, sometimes our response to Jesus' word of faith is actually with our lack of faith, like that man at the pools of Bethesda. Would you like to... See the mighty working power of God. Would you, you know, do you want to see someone get saved when you share the gospel with them? And we would rather say what unto the Lord? Well, I, I don't really know if I should be the one who would share the gospel, and et cetera, et cetera. So in the response to Jesus speaking the word of faith, now I'm not a word of faith teacher. That's not our church doctrine, nothing like that. But don't skip and pretend like it's not in the Bible. Because Jesus spoke the word of faith unto people. The response of the people believed were healed. Peter now speaks to this lame man in the same authority and power of the name of Jesus Christ. Okay? Now you, you see where the Holy Spirit wants to sow seeds in, in our faith. What did James say? Faith without works is dead. Like a body without the head is dead. Faith without works is dead. Now you catch this. We're talking, we're talking prayer that's real prayer. We're talking faith that's real faith, aren't we? See, not, do you sense your own personal lack like I do when you come to a study like this? And, like, and I pray, and I have faith, but now I'm like, Lord, do your work in our lives. Do your work in my life. The authority and power of the name of Jesus. And I, I like this. The command was rise up and walk, right? But I, I absolutely love this. What, what, what does verse 8 say he was doing? Was he walking into the temple? Was he, was he moaning and dragging a foot behind him? Oh, I still can. No, he's walking and leaping and praising God. Never walked before in his life. I mean, I, I, I think of just the reality. The, the one that Jesus healed that was deaf and dumb from birth. Never, never have his nerves been activated to respond to the vibrations that, to equate what that is, or his eyes, the one, never were the optic nerves developed to receive signals that were never sent. So here this guy has muscles and nerves that have never been used to walk, let alone muscle strength to immediately begin to walk and leap and praise God. I like how, I like how God does things. The people saw him walking, and praising God. Then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Now as the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, I, I don't believe he's hanging on to him for support. When they're walking and leaping and praising God, 
He's not hanging on to them like you, you know, taking the injured football player off the field. I never quite understand why they send the shortest person out for this big, tall, heavy lineman. How are they going to support him when he's limping off with his knee? That's not what's happening here. But we're still in this faith. And now you're going to watch something that takes place, right? He's hanging on to them because what? He's been healed. He's hanging on to them for joy. So all the people run together. All the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's Greatly Amazed. That's 9 through 11. Now the people saw the response of this man's faith. They respond. Back to the top, men of prayer, men of faith. Now we come to an important one, which Acts 3 is not going to talk much about. But it's there. In fact, if it's not there, none of this happens. They had come to this place, and they had come to this place of carrying the cross who had no selfish ambition for themselves. Most churches don't teach the cross anymore. Don't even mention it. It gets an honorable mention on Easter. And this is to the shame of the changing of the doctrine of Christ into our personal lives of deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus. Why no great mighty working power at large in the church? But could you imagine somebody today with a gift of healing? They would start a TV show. They wouldn't go empty out of hospital. They would, they would make money off their TV show. And that's been done. So in response to this wonder and amazement, I, you know, as soon as they heard this, it's like a buzz went through the place. They didn't need the Internet to spread the news. A crowd gathered and they were astounded. And they see this man walking and leaping and praising God. When Peter saw it, he responded to the people, Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Why do you look so intently at us through as though by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? And, and I, I love Peter's response. You can hear it in his response. Now, two temptations occur whenever God begins to exercise the gifts of the Spirit. Two temptations. One, the one for whom the, the gift, the power of God, supernatural, through the one of who that was operated upon, the crowd is going to be tempted to exalt the instrument. I love what Pastor Chuck taught us. His, again, he tells this story one time how it is that this woman was just begging Pastor Chuck, come over, you and Kay, come over to the house. My husband doesn't know the Lord. I know Chuck, if you'll talk to him, he'll receive the Lord. And, and, and Pastor Chuck describes that in the time frame of which he began, began to spend with this man, and it was just a couple of times, and just began to share the gospel with him, and in such a way that, that the Holy Spirit, he, he believed the, the truth of Jesus, and, and the man got saved. And the next day, you know, his, his wife calls up to, to Kay and Chuck and says, Oh, Pastor Chuck, you're so wonderful. You're such a wonderful man. And he says, Hey, does the doctor ever pull out his best scalpel and start scalpel and, and praise the scalpel for the instrumentation of the surgery? And, oh, you're such a wonderful knife. And Pastor Chuck just said, It wasn't me. It, it, was, it was Jesus doing this work. The second temptation, right? The, the one is the crowd to exalt the instrument. The second one is the instrument is tempted to receive the glory. Really, I am that great. And that's the, the power of the understanding of what it meant to be crucified with Christ. The power of the cross. The, the, the denying of self, the, the carrying of the cross to, to crucify the flesh life. Peter, uh, as Peter knows this truth when 
he immediately points the attention away. When they want to adore him, right, he says it's God. Don't look at us, but look to Jesus. Verse 13, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom he delivered up, denied in the presence of Pilate, when he was determined to let him go. Now, he doesn't talk about his greatness, but he immediately uses the opportunity to draw their attention unto the witness of the power of Jesus Christ, and he preaches the cross. He preaches Christ crucified. In 14 and 15, he describes Israel's involvement. Remember who he's talking to. He says, men of Israel. See, this is that group that was there. He says, you denied the Holy One and the just, asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and killed the Prince of Life. No doubt there were those there continued their regular religious practice of going up to the temple at the hour of prayer. And there were those there who probably were in the crowd that day, you know, seven weeks, eight weeks earlier, nine weeks earlier, crying out, crucify him. He appeals to them on the knowledge of what they already have. See, when you preach the gospel, you have to bring forth the knowledge of God and then bring forth the knowledge of the Son of God. And we need to even bring forth now the knowledge of the crucifixion, that the Son of God was crucified and died, and we have to bring forth the knowledge of the resurrection to people, according to the Scripture. He uses that. He knows who he's talking to, and he describes how God had raised Jesus from the dead, Prince of Life, raised, raised him from the dead, and he says, of which we are witnesses. There's nothing now left in anything that had been done in that action where the people can say, Peter and John, you're great guys. Because in preaching Christ, he brings it to the witness, and he now bears witness again to the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He takes this power that brought forth the healing, and he ties it together with the power of the resurrection from the dead. I mean, any miracle, any sign or wonder that's really done in the Lord, what, what does it really do? It brings the reality of the power of the resurrection life of Christ at work. And that's what he preaches. 16, he says, and his, and his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Now, Peter's careful to take no credit for the faith that is in him. I like that. No credit for the faith that is in him. He simply describes the faith where it's come from. It came through Jesus. It's his faith at work. And that's what he describes. It is the faith. And again, now, men of faith, you're hearing that? Peter circles back now to faith. The secret to great faith is being fully and totally persuaded that God is both willing and able to intercede in your situation. It's one thing to, oh, it happened in the Bible, just like it's one thing to say, it happened for the apostles. <coughs> but when you're facing the person and they're telling you their situation, their suffering, their pain, their trial, what, whatever's happened unto them, you're at that point now as, you're, as you are facing them and you've been telling your friend about how wonderful it is to be a Christian and what it means to be forgiven. And when it comes to that, do you really believe that God is willing to and will is able to intercede and answer prayer in those situations. 
See, I see why we end up with movies, Christian movies, for lack of a better adjective, like God's Not Dead. I don't know if you ever saw that movie. And, and yeah, it's an entertaining movie, but in many ways it's a sad statement upon the condition of the church. Now, I'm not here to put it down. I'm here, let's go back to the book of Acts and stir back up again prayer, faith, right? The cross, the, 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 no, the no ambition. All right, now on to 17 and 18. He says, yet now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance. So he's preaching Christ. He's not preaching healing. That, that should be as much of a stark, right, just contrast when you hear somebody preach healing, turn the channel. Because it'll be on TV or the Internet, won't it? Preaching healing. He's not preaching healing. He's preaching Christ. Describes how they had crucified him in ignorance. The rulers were responsible as well. He says, those things which God foretold by the mouth of all his prophets, that Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. How does God do that? God takes the will and desire of the, of the rulers to, to crucify Christ to actually fulfill the word of God. And that's what Peter presents unto them. Do you, you notice what's happening now? He's actually preaching Christ crucified in fulfillment of Scripture. Hey, now you see this, this fourth one that I talked about. They were men who had knowledge of the Scriptures. What to us might seem like an obscure reference in the Psalms of David, what does Peter do in the Holy Spirit? He takes those references. They're not obscure. If it's in the Word of God and the Spirit, put it there. It's there. Come in. <laughs> so those references are there for you to pick up. Again, I'll just say this, Romans 10, 17 to you. Do you know that verse the moment I say Romans 10, 17? Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. How will they hear unless someone goes to them to tell them? And then how will that person get there unless they are sent? And you see how this interaction, how the faith and prayer working together with the carrying of the cross you can't just show up and say, I'm a Christian, be healed, or I'm a Christian, get saved. Because that, that, I've tried that, just trying to argue somebody into heaven. It's the Word of God. Now, we'll find out here, he is referencing Isaiah 53 and Psalm 22, certainly over the fulfillment of the Scripture of the sufferings of Christ unto crucifixion. Psalm 22, they pierced my hands and my feet. See, the knowledge of the working of Scriptures. Now, I'll just say this right here. <laughs> hey, can I have the brownie? Did you get up to go to the bathroom or to get the brownie? Both. That's such very honest of you, young man. I like that. All right. There's a danger in spiritualizing Scripture, isn't there? Because then you take away the meaning of that which God intended. And I love this. That, that he did not do it. Now, the Jews, I mean, they had, again, honestly, they had spiritualized those passages of the Messiah concerning his sufferings. They had spiritualized them away, saying, the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom. So what's the call? 19, repent, therefore be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. So the working knowledge of the scriptures unto the preaching of Christ crucified to actually give the people an opportunity to change their minds, 
that would lead to a changed life. He, he preaches Christ and calls for repentance. John the Baptist, right? Repent. Jesus, when he began to preach the kingdom, repent. Now, how about this? And again, just, just taking this out in the working and handling of the scriptures as the church, right? As you, as we individually together go out, just handling this from the Bible, the need for everyone to repent. Romans, Romans 3, all have sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. You preach repentance. And you, instead of preaching, you know, get a better life, come to Jesus, you know, get a, get a better life kind of thing, preach the cross, preach what God has done, and then you preach repentance to give everybody the opportunity to agree with and turn unto what God has done through, in and through his son. Now, I, I love this verse, and a lot of times I concentrate on the last part, refreshing may come. But look at that first one, repentance, be converted, and that middle phrase, your sins may be blotted out. This is one of the most wonderful things of the working knowledge of the scripture and the gospel of Jesus Christ to put forth unto those that you're, you're preaching unto that their sins can be forgiven. <clears throat> Blotted out. Not that you have not sinned, but that the blood of Jesus Christ would blot out your sins. Implying what? That there's a record of which every man will give an account unto God for those things that have been done in the flesh. You catch the, the backdrop of the judgment according to the working of the scripture, and then calling upon the repentance, because without repentance, there is going to be no cleansing. See, think of John's, John the Baptist's ministry as he preached repentance. Those that did not repent certainly didn't go into that dirty river water of Jordan. Now, I've baptized people in that river at that spot, and it's dirty. Naaman in the Old Testament came to that river and said what? It's dirty. But yet, it wasn't about the dirtiness of the water. It was a response. So I love that, the idea of being blotted out. And then right there into 20, and that he may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the times of the restoration of all things. Now, I like this in Acts 3 because it now is an understanding of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit as promised by Joel which we studied in Acts chapter 2, that carries it all the way through unto the, the end of the age. And Peter now talks about the restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of his holy prophets since the world began. What's he saying? If you, <clears throat> if you can see this in the scriptures, that there would be a work of salvation, the prophets described that before there would be the judgment and the return of the Messiah. So, I love the working knowledge of the scriptures as they help the people understand Jesus Christ crucified, resurrected, ascended into heaven, waiting for his return. And what's he busy doing now? Interceding at the right hand of God, poured out his spirit upon the church for the work of salvation. After all, that is his name. Jehovah is salvation. Jesus, Yeshua. Now, as he describes that, working knowledge of the, what was prophesied about Jesus. And I, I mean, this, this, it gets rather exciting because this now carries all the way through into the present day. None of this has changed. The scriptures haven't changed. Jesus is still at the right hand of God. He's still, we're still waiting for him to return. And, and as it's unfolded in history, 
You think of the Gentiles being saved later on in the book of Acts, and the Bible describes that, that the restoration of all things. That phrase is it's exciting because the Messiah is going to come back. He is going to restore Israel. You realize Jerusalem will be restored. In fact, Isaiah and Hosea, not Hosea, Isaiah and Micah both prophesied that Israel would be exalted above all the other mountains of the, of the earth. Jerusalem would be. And the restoration of these things. And over and over, Ezekiel talks about the restoration of Israel. Ezekiel 37. I mean, how exciting has it been to travel to Israel? And you can think of May 14, 1948, when that all, again, what a day of prophecy fulfillment. But then to go there and to see that there is this place and these fulfillments are happening. Verse 22, he's talking to Israel, so he's talking to the men of Israel. He says, Moses truly said to the fathers, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet. Deuteronomy 18, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet. Now, I love the the New King James translators. What do they do? They capitalize prophet. They're identifying this as a fulfillment of prophecy concerning the Son of God. Now, it's, it's an interpretation. You understand that, right? You understand that when they capitalize P and prophet, they're saying, and again, it's Peter's context. Peter is saying Jesus fulfills this. And he says, like me from your brethren. So Moses prophesied of Jesus. And what did Moses say? Much like what what Mary, Jesus' earthly mother, said, the last thing Mary says is, listen to Jesus. What's the last thing Moses says concerning the Messiah who would come? Him you shall hear in all things, whatever he says to you. So when Jesus shows up and Israel's not listening to the Son of God, then he goes on to Isaiah's prophecy. You're you're hard of hearing. You're you're not hearing these things. Okay, let's go forward here. Uh, Verse 23 and 24. And it shall be that every soul who will not hear that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. Now, when we first started out, you know, going to pastor, right? I've heard the call of God and I'm, I'm going to do this. And I said, uh, I'm going to reach out to people. And so I, I just came up with this saying, no decision is a decision. If you do nothing with Jesus, it's not like you stay equal. In fact, this is what it said. And as he describes this, it's, uh, it shall be, I mean, the, it shall be that every soul who will not hear that prophet shall be utterly destroyed. So those of Israel who had the testimony of the Messiah. They had all this in their scriptures, and yet they wouldn't listen to that. And when Jesus shows up doing the things that the prophet said the Messiah would do, and he does them right before their eyes, and they would not listen to him, they would be destroyed. Yes, and all the prophets from Samuel and those who follow, as many have spoken, have also foretold these days. Let's be straight up now. As believers in this day and age, we should have a working knowledge of what's going on in the world related to Prophecy being fulfilled concerning the second coming of Jesus Christ. We should likewise have a working knowledge of the scriptures unto the great need for every single person to be saved. That that either church attendance or, again, think of, think of some of the lies Satan has sown into the world, that your truth, right? God worked through different peoples in different times with different truths to a specific people group. Or how many multiple false religions out there, as long as somebody's sincere. And we have to have that working knowledge, not only in the beginning of that repentance, but in this where, where, where Peter really goes, he describes the judgment of God. 
we should have a working knowledge in the preaching of the gospel concerning hell. Utterly destroyed. Now, it's not very comfortable to preach that, is it? And yet, that's what the prophets have prophesied. Now, concerning the coming of the Messiah, and yes, those same prophets have described the judgment and the judgment upon the earth. You are the sons of the prophets and the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying unto Abraham, and in your seed all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. So he quotes Genesis 22, but describing this, that, that blessing that came to Israel first. And, and, and Paul really nails this when he, when he records this. He says, not many seeds, not all the seeds of Israel to bless the world. He says it singular, the seed. And that's a reference to the Messiah. To you, to you first, God having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you and turning away every one of you from your iniquities. If you think about the giving of the law by Moses and thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, it was designed to turn people away from their iniquities. And, and again, the psalmist declares the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul, that's Psalm 19. And this idea that the law could do this, if one thing could have happened, if anybody could be found who could actually do what? Keep the law. And then that's where Jesus came to bless us by taking away iniquities. And it really comes down to it that really he became a curse for us that we might live in the blessing of him keeping the law, fulfilling it. Now, we come to this place, and and, and really it, it comes down to, like for me, all of Acts 3 results in this. And let's go back to the top. I'll get back to, to my first page of notes and just lay it out. The men of these lives, they were men of prayer, men of faith, Men who had come to the cross had no ambition for themselves. Men with which the word thoroughly knowledgeable of the scriptures. Now, didn't talk about it much in chapter 3, but, but this, is, this is also another sign. They were baptized with the Holy Spirit. And I'll leave you with this phrase. Many ministries have become shipwrecked on the shoals of the self-life, taking the glory for what God has done. Successful is the man who points others to Jesus and doesn't seek to take glory for himself. What's the real witness and evidence and baptism of the Holy Spirit? The fruit of the Holy Spirit. That which takes time to bring forth that fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. When you're, as we say it, uh, put your money where your mouth is, where your practice what you preach matches. How about this? Do, do what I do and what I say. So we all know this inherently, don't we? That these were men who had been with Jesus, came to him, followed him. That baptism with the Holy Spirit transformed their lives. And it was the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives for them to carry the cross, denying their flesh life and saying what? This is the Spirit of God at work in our lives. I I see a wonderful humility working with this truth and it's on display in Acts chapter 3. So... Pray with me. This, this is more and more the type of people I want us to be. So, Lord, we ask and pray for this working as we do this study to see that, Lord, that I, I think of half of this chapter devoted to the description of the man who had a working knowledge of Scripture, to preach Christ unto their audience from references that they would have known. 
how they would have known Moses, how they would have known David. Lord, we're asking and praying that we would, in the same way, be able to take that which is written in the scriptures for those that we're sharing the gospel with and provide for them the knowledge and the understanding of you and how you sent forth your son. So I pray that you would give us wisdom. I pray that that we would give the effort unto the the working knowledge of the scriptures. And we, we declare openly, Lord, we need the baptism with your Holy Spirit. Not unto goosebumps or not unto Holy Spirit services, but the power to be your witnesses. So, Lord, change us and, and, and use our lives, we pray, for this work of salvation that you continue in the world in Jesus' name. Amen. So, just want to encourage you in the days in which we're living. It's exactly the description of what the Bible said the days would be like concerning the days of the coming of the Son of Man. Days of Noah, days of Lot. Now, you might be frustrated over the, the proliferation of homosexuality, right, in all the world and, and its acceptance and its forcefulness and, and what's then related to a visual representation of transgenderism and, and you read the headlines like I do, you maybe read the articles, how, how you know, they're going to do a womb transplant into a man so he can... And you read all these things and you think the world's lost their mind, right? And you're like... This is exactly what the Bible said. If you thought the days of Noah were not so evil, then you would be disagreeing with Genesis 6. It was so evil in those days that it was in men's heart to do evil continually. So we, with understanding, we, we can cry out, Lord, come, Maranatha. If you thought it was a Lord, come, you know, worship song, it's a cry of the, of the spirit within the church that says, Lord, come. And this is where we're at. And as that's happening, I remind you, for as much time as you spend being troubled, spend as much time in prayer being built up, strengthened, and in faith, and crying out to the Lord. The Lord could come at any moment. And that imminent return of Jesus Christ, I want to do this. And again, I said it this morning. I'm saying it tonight, so I'm kind of committing myself to it. I I want to graphically represent what it is for what a woman who goes through labor concerning the timing and the intensity of the contractions before the baby's born, and then take that together with the timing and intensity of the earthquakes in the world and see if those two graphs line up together with wars, rumors of wars. Take those signs that Jesus said and and see if we can graphically represent them and then overlay them and just say, hey, look, that's where we're at. So in the days of the coming of the Son of Man, right, what should we be doing? Eating, drinking, carousing? Oh, the Lord delays his coming. Or should we be what? The Lord's coming. The Lord's coming soon. And what was that in Spanish? Jesucristo viene pronto. So maybe you do it there. Pronto. Hasta pronto. So may the Lord bless you this week. May you take Acts 3, just in whichever part the Holy Spirit's working, and say, I need to pray more. I may, I may need to target my praying for specific people. Or maybe like, I need to increase my faith. Luke 17, 7 through 10. Lord, increase our faith. Luke 17, 7 through 10. Things like that. Or the, the idea of carrying your cross. Lord, I, I'm selfish. I mean, I don't know if you between the Lord ever just say, Lord, I'm selfish. And you just work that out and you start working out. Lord, I've got to carry my cross on a daily basis. Lord, teach me to deny myself on a daily basis. So I won't preach a third sermon. God bless you. You're May that be a a grace to you this week to take some of these things up and take them with you. So God bless you.